ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin there in a, in a, in a little bit. Uh, this is, uh, as we know, this is a special day in the life of our nation. I'll say a word about that in a moment. But it's also a special day in the life of one of our people. Coach Lewis Hansen is 96 today. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody gets a shout out for their birthday on Sunday, but if you get 96 behind you, I believe, <laughs> I think that merits it. If Dan were here, we would sing, but he's not. So happy birthday, coach. Okay. Amen. Uh, I'll save you uh, the singing. Uh, so it's uh, quite a memorable day uh, in his life, but you know, it is a memorable day in the life of America and uh, you know, we're reminded uh, just uh, that life is, uh, man, you know, the scripture says life is a vapor, and you never know what a day is going to bring, and, uh, and we need to be reminded of that, and, and so I hope, I hope we'll just, I think as we live our life, we ought, we ought to live with the idea that, hey, this, this thing, uh, you know, we got right now, we don't know past that, and uh, our our. And I'm going to talk about, and I, I may get in, in case I don't get into this in the message, let me just say this. America desperately needs us. Uh, l- listen, America desperately needs us to live out what we say we believe. Not, you know, talk's cheap. They need to see in us what we say we believe. They need to see in us the gospel. And so as we, uh, we're going to pray for our nation here and we're going to open the word and that's going to connect to the message. But I, just want, you, I want you to think about that. Uh, we are, Jesus said you are to be salt and light. Right? And if the salt loses its flavor, if we hide the light under a bushel, we're not getting done what he's called us to do. So as we, as we think about our nation today, and as you watch football games and they celebrate, and, you know, they do all the things they do. And uh, as you watch the news, let's think about what, what, what America needs is for the church to be the church. Not to stand on the sidelines and throw rocks at everything. We need to be the church. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, so many uh, memories are brought to our attention today. Uh, those who uh, suffered hardship and loss, and God, so much happened in America after that day, uh, 15 years ago, and it just brings up so many emotions. And, and Father, I, I pray for our dear land, Lord. We desperately need uh, an awakening in America. We desperately need uh, an awakening uh, in, in our culture, uh, Father. Our nation needs for us to be about the gospel. God, our, our, whether, they want, whether they know it or not, whether, whether the culture knows it or not, they desperately need the church to be the church. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I pray that as we, as we talk about who we are today, as we talk about uh, living on mission, that you would inspire us to go out into the world and live out the gospel. And so, God, speak into our life this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, 
just I pray for our nation. Lord, I pray that you that we really would begin to experience an awakening because the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And I would I pray that we would we would take that message into the highways and byways of our world. And so God, move in our hearts this morning as we unpack the word. I pray that, uh, God, for those of us who believe, I pray that you would convict our hearts today. God, I pray that you would disturb us today to not be satisfied and content with what we're doing and where we're living and how we're living, but you would disturb us, Father, for the sake of the kingdom. Father, for those here this morning who have yet to come to know you, my hope, my heart's desire, my prayer for them is they would come to know the Jesus that I know. And they could have the peace and the forgiveness and the hope uh, that I have. And so, God, would you come and meet with us? And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the honor and the glory for all that you do. And, Father, we pray in the awesome and mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as you're finding your way to uh, Acts chapter 2, I, let me just kind of start with a little quick story. I was at a tennis match this week. I don't remember uh, if it was yesterday or Friday. You know, I've slept a little bit since then. Maybe not enough. But, but, but I saw a fan that had a t-shirt that said, Tennis is Life. And what I wanted to do is go up and say, well, I love tennis too, but, uh, but Jesus is life. But I, either I didn't have the courage, which is probably part of the deal, uh, to, to go up and say that, or maybe I just thought, you know, that probably wouldn't be well received. And so for whichever reason, I didn't say anything about that. Um, but, but I think what she meant was that I'm passionate about tennis. Now, you don't have to drive very far to see a, a, a truck or a car or a van or SUV with that little sticker placard on it that says Salt Life. Right? Anybody seen those? You've seen those salt lights. Why, you know, why is that? Because they're passionate about the beach, or they're passionate about uh, fishing, or they're, they're passionate about uh, the, the ocean life. Uh, there's actually a documentary, some of you have watched it, it's called, it's on NFL Network, it's been going five or six years, called uh, A Football Life. I was flipping the channels uh, a few weeks ago, and, uh, and there was Kenny the Snake Stabler. Anybody remember uh, Kenny the Snake? Yeah. And it was a documentary about his life. And it was, it was pretty, you know, it's pretty sad and tragic because he lived a football life. It was, it, it, he was passionate about the football life. I don't know if any of you know who Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo is. He is a soccer player, world-renowned soccer or world-renowned footballer, which is not real football, but it's soccer football. But Ronaldo, um, Ronaldo is number one on Forbes' list of athletes in terms of earnings. He kicks a soccer ball. And in 2016, his projected earnings, listen to this, 88 million. That's more than twice what Tiger is going to earn this year, okay? Listen to what Ronaldo, this is a quote from Cristiano Ronaldo. I had a slide, but it, you know, something happened, didn't work. But here's what he says. Guys making 88 million 
playing a game. So here's what he said. He said, without football, my life is worth nothing. Without football, my life is worth nothing. Dude's making 88 bill. I mean, that's a lot of jack, right? I mean, 88 million. I mean, that's a lot. That's just for this year. But but he's but he's passionate about something, and and, and he doesn't know. You know, I think he probably doesn't know what to be passionate about. But, but, but what I'm saying is if, if you wear a shirt that says tennis's life or if you wear something that says salt life or the football life or, the, or, 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 or whatever, what you're saying is, man, I'm really passionate about this. And every, every one of us is passionate about something. Now, you may not have the T-shirt, but if somebody were to follow us around, if they were to follow you and me around and they were to look at where we spend our money or they were to look at what we did with our time, they could probably get you a T-shirt. If, they, if you followed me around, you'd probably go, coffee is life. Because I drink coffee in the morning. I drink coffee at lunch. I drink coffee in the afternoon. Uh, I drank like a pot last night. I mean, you know, between 9 and 12. And you'd say, you'd say coffee is life. But the reality is, it'd probably be dessert is life. Or maybe bluebell is life. Because that's really, you know, but all of us have this thing that we're passionate about. And so my question for you this morning. And my question for me this morning is, what is your passion? What is your passion? I mean, what would you say, without blank, my life is worth nothing? Well, what is it that drives your life? What is it that occupies your mind? What is it that captures your focus? We began began this brand new series two weeks ago on what we value as a church. And and we began to look at the church on opening day here in Acts chapter 2 and when the church first got started, and we talked about, in week one, we talked about that as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, we are to be a gospel-centered people. And then last week, we learned that a gospel-centered people live in community. We live together with other believers, and we looked at the lives of those new believers, and we looked at how, man, they were willing to live in uh, to live in community. And the reason you need to live in community is, is because this idea of drift. And if you weren't here, let me just give you a real quick snapshot. What we learned is that in nature, everything tends to move from order to disorder or from order to chaos. If, if you want things to fall apart, all you got to do is nothing. Just do nothing. Your marriage will fall apart. Your yard will fall apart. Your house will fall apart. Your car will fall apart. I mean, you just, whatever it is. Why? Because there's this law, this law of physics that says things move from order to disorder. And in our spiritual life, in our spiritual life, if we're not intentional and if we're not accountable and practical, then spiritually we'll move from order to disorder. And so in order to counteract that, you've got to live in community. And what we learned is that the, the early church, man, that's what they did. They lived in Community. Well, this morning we're going to revisit the early church in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to find out, and, and what I want to do is point out what drove their life. What is it that occupied uh, their mind and what is it that captured their focus? And so Acts chapter 2, and I know you're thinking, well, we've been in this for a while. And, and, and you're right, and we'll see. We may not get out of it today. But I want you to look at verse 46. We'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. But he writes, and he says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, there, there, there were four things that were going on. They were attending worship. They were, they were kind of going to the church, doing the church thing, uh, number one. Number two, they were, 
They were in homes breaking bread together. In other words, they were in small group together. They were in big worship together. They were in small group together. Uh, they were in personal worship, uh, praising God. And then they were having an influence on their community. They were having favor with all the people. Now look at what happens when that's true. Look down at what happens when that's true. Because the end of verse 47 says this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When they were living, I mean, they were living on mission. They were living intentionally for the sake of the gospel. And what happened? The Lord added to their church day by day those who were being saved. And what we're going to see as, we, as, we, as the message unfolds, that wasn't just true here. That's true all through the book of Acts. Because they were living on mission. And so as a gospel-centered people, we are called first to live in community, but we are called to live on mission. The thing that should drive our life as a follower of Jesus, the thing that should, should occupy our mind and, and capture our focus is this idea of mission or the mission, if you will, of the king and his kingdom. Now, in the middle of verse 46, it's really interesting. Look there, because it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness. They were the ones attending the temple, and they were the ones that were in the small group, and they were the ones that were praising God. And they, but the question is, who is that? Who is the they? And why are they doing what they're doing? Look back up in verse 37. Peter's just finishing up this sermon. He's just preached the first sermon. Remember, it's opening day. And this is day one of the church. Peter's preached the first sermon. He's kind of said, hey, you guys killed Jesus. And there's a great crowd. He says, you guys killed Jesus. Now, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. A lot of the people in the crowd, man, they, they lived in Jerusalem. That's just kind of where they were because, I mean, they, that's where they stayed. And, and on the Monday of, of Passion Week, maybe it was the Sunday, I, I don't know, but on the Sunday or Monday of Passion Week, Jesus comes in riding on the donkey, right? And they spread out the palm branches, and everybody's shouting and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that happens on Sunday or Monday. Well, on Friday, on Friday, this same crowd, is standing before Pilate yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Peter, this is about six weeks later, Peter stands up in front of him and says, hey, you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. You killed him according to God's plan and foreknowledge, but God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says there that they were, they were cut to the heart. And they said, oh my, what do we do? What he say? He said, well, you need to repent and believe. And so they repented and they believed. And look what happens in verse 41. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So about 3,000 of them were added to the church that day. And then look in verse 42. That same 3,000 says they devoted themselves. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, they were affectionately committed affectionately committed to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to prayer. Now, that's who the they is. The they is the people that started the early church. Now, why do I say all that? Here's why I say that. See, we think, we think somebody that is absolute, you know, that they were radically saved. 
I mean, they got saved. They became affectionately committed to the teaching. They became affectionately committed to celebrating communion together. Uh, they became affectionately committed to praying together. They, they were in awe before God. They had everything in common. Uh, they shared everything. If somebody had, in fact, uh, a lot of them just took, every, took some of the stuff they had. They went and sold it, and they brought the money, and they said, Hey, Peter and John, hey, you guys, here's just some money. If anybody has a need, just take this money and meet their need. Now, when we look at that, we go, man, those guys are radical because they begin to live in community. And then we read about how they went on mission, that, man, that they were attending church and they were in small group and they were praising God. And the whole, listen, everybody had favor with them. And we go, wow, to, to live in community like that, to live on mission like that, man, these guys were radical. But here's what I want to say. Here's what God wants to say to you and me this morning. That's not radical. When you become a follower of Jesus, that's normal. That's normal. The normal Christian life is to live in community. The normal Christian life is for you and me to live on mission for God. That is just, that's just kind of the, the, the normal thing. And so to live on mission, when I talk about, hey, as a follower of Christ, we're to live on mission, that, that means we're to live as a missionary. Alan Hirsch uh, kind of a, one of the thinkers of our day, kind of one of the, one of the guys in, in this uh, missional movement. Here's what he says. He says, a missional theology is not intent with mission being a church-based work. Rather, it applies to the whole life of every believer. Listen to this. Every disciple, every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God. And every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. We are all Listen to this. We're all missionaries sent into a non-Christian culture. We're all missionaries. If you're a follower of Jesus, if Jesus has done anything in your life, if he's done something in your life, then you're his missionary. And I'm his missionary. And we're called to live out uh, that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians. Now, while you're finding your way there, let me just share this, because um, I may forget and not come back to it, but let me just say this. I, I, believe, this, I, I believe as a church, we're, we're pretty passionate about missions. If you look, at, you know, we got our women on missions group. We got, you know, the work we, we do with the orphanage over in, um, in uh, Kenya. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, what we give to d different mission causes and different things, I, I think we're passionate about mission. And, and we go, you know, we're all, yeah, man, we need to, we need to, we need to take an offering and we need to, we need to send people on mission. But, but here's, what I'm here's what I want you and me to understand. This is so, this is, when, when we walk out those doors and, and get in our car and drive to where we live, drive to where we eat, drive to where we play, and drive to where we work, we, we are then in the third largest mission field in the world. Wrap your brain around that for a moment. We think about sending people every, and we should. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not debating that at all because there are people that have never heard. But America is the third largest 
mission field in the world. I mean, the pool of lost people in America is the third largest pool behind China and India, or India and China, whichever one of them's got the most. You know, 310 or 20 million people, at least 70% are lost, probably a higher number than that, but just at least 70%. So, so we're talking 220 or 30 million people that are lost. And, and notice what, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, and then we'll jump down to verse uh, 17. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul said, knowing what it is to fear the Lord. Now, there's two thoughts there. There's reverence, but there's the understanding that, that men and women who are lost stand bef- before a, a holy, are going to stand before a holy God and incur judgment. He says, he says knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade men. We persuade men. Then look down at verse 17. Uh, Actually, uh, probably uh, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. uh, And the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us. Paul's talking about believers. Immediately the apostles. but He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now what is that? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, listen to this, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, here's what I, this is interesting. I've never seen this. I don't think. And then I read about it last night. When you look at that, that statement, we are ambassadors, it looks like ambassadors is a noun. Now, let's go back to English. I know this will be a bad memory for some of you, but we're going to go back to English for a minute. Remember in grammar, a noun is what? It's a person, a place, or a thing. A, a, a noun is something you are, right? Isn't that right? You know, a noun is something you are. Well, and you can't see this. But in the original language, ambassador is not a noun. It's a verb. Now, a noun is something you are, but a verb, especially an action verb, a verb is something you do. It's not a state of being. It's a state of doing. It's, it's, you know, like run or jump or fish. And and so what, what Paul is saying here is we are... It's almost like we are running for Jesus, we are fishing for Jesus, we are jumping for Jesus. But what he's saying, we are ambassadoring for Jesus. Now, what does an ambassador do? Well, they represent, a, a, in, a, in Scripture, in their time, they represented a king in his kingdom. Today, an ambassador represents, in our case, a president and a nation. And so what an ambassador does is they go into a foreign land... Or to a foreign entity, and they represent a king and his kingdom. 
And so what, what Paul is saying here is that if you're a follower of Jesus, and for me as a follower of Jesus, we are to be ambassadoring. We are to be acting as the representative of the king and his kingdom in a foreign land. Well, we, listen, we're aliens. The Bible says we're aliens and strangers. This land is not our home, right? We're, how many of you are looking forward to heaven? Most of us. Good. That's good. Uh, because we're thinking, man, we, uh, listen, I don't want to live forever here. Because we know there's something better. Well, we're to be an agent. We're to be a representative of the king. We are to ambassador, if you will, for the sake of Jesus. Now, so the question is, how, does it, how do we live on mission? How do we live as an ambassador, a representative of the king and his kingdom? How do you and I live on mission or how do we live missionally? Now, I want to share two thoughts real quickly. And uh, we'll expound on at least one of them. First of all, if, if, if you're going to live on mission, here's what, here's what the early church did. Those 3,000, the they that we talked about, the first thing they did is they lived saved. They lived saved. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, I've given my life to Jesus. I've repented of my sins. I've come to know Christ. I'm saved. And if you've given your life to Jesus and if you've repented of your sins, then you are saved. But that's really not the question. It's not are you saved, but do we live saved? Do we live saved? Now, what do I, what do I mean uh, when I say do we live saved? If, see, when you look at their life, you can tell Jesus messed them up. I mean, they started selling all their stuff and giving it away. They started going, I mean, they, they were, the church was a daily thing. Worshiping God was a daily thing. I mean, when they looked at, when you looked at their life, you went, I mean, the people around them looked at their life and they were like, wow, what happened to them? And so here's a question. When people look at your life and my life, what do they see? Think about this. What if? What if you and I, what if we picked five, maybe eight people in our circle of influence? The people you, your kids play ball with, uh, or the kid, our kids or grandkids play ball with, uh, the people we work with, uh, people that we hang around with at the, in the neighborhood, the guys we play golf with, or go shoot doves with, or, you know, or, or whatever. But you picked eight people, somewhere between five and eight people. And, and, and just not, we just did an anonymous survey. You just turned their names in to somebody, and somebody went to those people and said, Hey, can you just tell me, does so-and-so, do they live like Jesus? Now, I'm, we're not talking about Sunday morning people. Because we see each other on Sunday morning and go, well, he looks like Jesus, she looks like Jesus, we look like, yeah, it's all good. But, but, if we, but the, people, the people that we go to the gym with, the people that we go to work with, the people that we interact with, if we were to do a survey and somebody were to ask them, hey, does so-and-so live like Jesus? What would they say? I mean, what would they say? See, because I think I, I, what, what the world needs is for us to live saved. We just need to live like we're saved. The, the reason people, the reason so many people don't have anything to do with the church is they've been around us. They've sat in the stands with us. 
They've lived across the street from us. They've worked in the office with us. And they go, well, if that, well that, if that's what that means, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. And so, so listen, if, we, if you're not going to live on mission, we've got to live saved. Now, what, what would that look like? Well, there are two, two ways I believe we live saved. First, it, we live saved in how we talk. We live saved in how we talk. I want you to look at, uh, if you're still in 2 Corinthians, turn over to Ephesians 4. I'm going to share with you a verse uh, in just a minute. But let me just give you the NIV translation. The NIV translation of Ephesians 4.29 says, We're to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. The ESV says it this way. Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as, it fit, as fits the occasion. Listen to this statement. That it, that's the purpose statement, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay. You're at the game. Your grandson or your daughter is playing. And um, the ref makes a call. Or maybe the ref doesn't make a call for the third or fourth time. And you know where I'm going with this, right? And, and, and does what you say, does what I say give grace to those who hear? Because to the, to the non-believer that looks at the person that says I'm a believer, everything we say and everything we do counts. It counts because they want to know. See, here's the thing. When you stand up and say, I've given my life to Jesus, what, what they're looking for, many of them are looking for, a re- they're, they're looking for a reason not to believe. They're looking for a reason to say, hey, that must not be true. And so they're listening to how we talk. Does what you and I say, does it give grace, if you will, uh, to to hear it. Or maybe, or maybe, uh, maybe you're on the golf course with your buddies. Or maybe you're uh, out shooting doves with your buddies or you're working on your car or whatever it is. Does what we say, does what we talk about. Maybe they're sitting in front of the TV where you're watching a football game. That's a scary thought right there, yeah. Does what we say Point people to Jesus. Does it give grace, if you will, uh, to the hearer? See, when when, when we are when we are out there with those who are not yet ready to come in here, does our talk demonstrate that we're saved? I mean, do they hear us tell the truth? Do, do they hear us be critical of people? Do they hear us gossip? Do they hear us slander? Other people, because we're quick to make a judgment. And see what we say. So if I'm going to live saved, if you're going to live saved, we've got to watch how we talk. Secondly, if we're going to live saved, not only how we talk, but, but we, need to, we need to look at our walk. Because, you know, what kind of life are we living? Do, do, you know, uh, do we have a testimony? Does our life testify to anything? I was listening to a guy this week, and he said when I was in seminary, this lady stood up and said, not every Christian has a testimony. Uh, some Christians, all they have is a money. 
And the professor said, what do you mean a moaning? She says, well, they moan about everything. They moan about the music at church. They moan about how so-and-so didn't do such and such. They moan about how God didn't do this for them. And they it says, says they don't really have a testimony. All they've got is a moaning because they moan about everything. And so when people look at you and me, when they listen to you and me, see, for some of them, the only Bible they're going to get is us. Now, that's a scary thought. But there's people that they're just looking at you and me, and if we don't measure up, they're going to dismiss Christianity altogether. So, so we've got to live saved. Look, look in your Bibles. This is an incredible verse. Philippians, Philippians uh, chapter 1. Remember, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you get that in order. Philippians, I always forget, I have to go back to that. Philippians 1, listen to verse 27, and I just want you to just think about this. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so I think it's fair for us to ask the question, am I live, is my life, is my manner of life Worthy of the gospel. Because the gospel is worthy of a changed life. We read that. If any man's in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. So is our manner of life worthy of the gospel? We need to live saved in our talk. We need to live saved in our walk. And, 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 so the, and the reason we need to do that is because, listen, God's called us to live sent. That's the second point. But if I'm not living saved, it's hard to live sent. Because people need to, they need to know that there's something different. I mean, if I, if I say the same things and if I do the same things and if I struggle with the same things and, and, if, I, and if I act the same way that they do, I don't really have anything to give them, right? I mean, isn't that right? I mean, if Christ hasn't changed me and you, what do we have to offer to them? So, so we need to live saved. And then we need to go out and live sent because that's what the, listen, that's what the church did. Go back to Acts chapter 2, listen to verse 47. Praising God and having faith. Listen, they had favor with all the people. Now this is not, they didn't have favor with the they. They had favor with all the people. And that's what we read in the text. Listen, let's just read along. Go to chapter 4, listen to verse 4. This is, this is incredible. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So it goes from 3,000 saved to 5,000 men saved. So the, you know there had to be some women. There are probably some students, maybe some kids. So there's a boatload of people saved. Then in verse 13 of chapter 4, here's what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they, listen to this, the, the, the rulers Perceived they were uneducated and common men. It says they were astonished. They were astonished. Now, why were they astonished? 
they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So, so when we, listen, when we go out there, does anybody recognize that you and me have been with Jesus? Because if we don't live like we've been with Jesus, they're not going to believe we've been with Jesus. They're just not. But, but they recognize that they would be able to. Now watch what happens. Go to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, verse, um, I think it's verse 13. Now, let me begin in verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. Listen to this. But the people held them in high esteem. So they looked at, now this is not just the apostles. Man, they're all gathered in this Solomon's portico. So there's, there's, there's a few thousand believers. And everybody that was on the outside, they were like, wow. Something about them. There's something about them. There's just something about them. And notice what happened. Because there was something about them. Look, look what it says in verse 14. This is absolutely incredible. This is in more than ever. More than ever. Now remember, 3,000 got saved day one. Remember, 5,000 men by chapter 4. More than, now more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes. Multitudes of both men and women. Men and women. Why, why was that happening? Because they were living on mission. Because the people held them and all they looked at their life and they go, I, I don't know what happened to Joe, but Joe, something's happened to Joe. And they began, and they began to, to look at Joe, and then they began to listen to Joe. And they said, I don't know what happened to Joe, but what happened to Joe, I want to happen to me. And so, if we're going to live on mission, we've we got to live saved. we we just got to live saved. And you, and you might be going, yeah, but Mike, you, you know, these were the apostles, and these were the prophets. And no, 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 no. Listen, can I just tell you, if you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we don't have time to go there. It says, everybody but the apostles were scattered they were all scattered, and they went talking about Jesus. And then if you go to chapter 11, I think it's verse 19, they went down to Antioch. And down in Antioch, there was a bunch of non-apostles, a bunch of those common, uneducated men like me and you, non-apostles. And what they were doing, they were talking about Jesus, and they were preaching Jesus. And multitudes, and multitudes were saved. And so, church, here's what I want to say to you and me. Listen, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, like I'm a follower of Jesus, we are sent. Alan Hurst, let me give you one more quote from him. Alan Hurst said this. He said, there's no such thing as an unsent Christian. Every Christian is a sent one. Every one of us is sent. The early church was sent and because they knew they had an impact, and that's what we just talked about, the impact they had in the gospel. They lived on mission. They spoke the word of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I, we're sent, we're sent to speak and share the good news. And so here's what I want to ask us this morning. Who in our circle, who in our circle is going to hear about Jesus because we're living on mission? Who in our circle is going to hear about Jesus? Let me just share this quote with you. I, I wanted to have a slide for this. But Todd Engstrom said this uh, at a conference three years ago. He said, a missionary, a missionary will sacrifice everything but the gospel for the sake 
of the gospel. A missionary will sacrifice everything but the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Now, what are you willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to sacrifice? So some of the people we know out there can come to know the Jesus that we know. What are we willing, what are you and me willing to do to live on mission? See, because here's the thing. We live, we live among the lost because seven out of ten people are. And by lost, I mean they're not yet followers of Christ. They've not come to know the peace and joy and forgiveness that we know. So seven out of ten, so if you go sit at the, you go sit at the ball game this week, just look around and go, okay, pretty good odds there's somebody that knows Jesus. So here's my question. What are we willing to, what are we willing to do? What are you and I willing to do? to live on mission and make a difference in somebody's life. Quick story. Uh, I met a new friend this week through a kind of a friend of a friend. And uh, we got together, and I was able to walk him through the gospel. I just walked him through the gospel, and we talked about, you know, different things. And, and, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And the reason... And the reason he did is his very best friend, his very best friend was willing to get out of his comfort zone and get into his life and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. And so this new friend of mine, when he called his buddy, he called his buddy up and he said, and his buddy said, how you doing? He said, man, I am full of joy because Jesus has changed my life. And, and the reason, listen, the reason is because his very dear friend was willing to step out of his comfort zone and step into the mission of the kingdom. Now, here's what I want to ask you, church. Who is it in your life and who is it in my life that needs to be full of joy, that could be full of joy if we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone and step into the mission of Jesus. Listen, I'm not even talking about those people we've never seen before. Think about the people in our circle. Just the people that we know and care about that could be full of joy, could be forgiven for eternity if we'd just be willing to step out of our comfort zone and step into the mission of Jesus. Listen, we are a gospel-centered people, and we are called to live on mission. What we're called to. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Two parts to the this little time of commitment. Let me say first, let me speak first to those of us who are followers. Many of us here are followers of Jesus. Let me just speak to us for a moment. Are you are you living saved? Are we living like we're saved? Are we talking and walking 
like Jesus. Not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. But are, are we living? If, if we interviewed those people, if somebody interviewed those people, those friends of mine and friends of yours, and they said, hey, does he live like, like a follower of Jesus? I mean, what would they say? And if you don't know, then would you be willing this morning to, to repent and say, Jesus, I'm just not living like I ought to live? Would you be willing to repent this morning? And say, Jesus, doesn't I want to change. Also, are you willing to get to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and into the life of that person, that friend of yours, that, that co-worker of yours, that, that, that classmate of yours, that, that teammate of yours, that spouse of yours, that child of yours, or that parent of yours? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and, and step into their life and talk about Jesus so they might be? full of joy. So are you willing to repent of where you are and turn and go where God wants to take you? Believe, are you, are you willing this morning to do that? And if you're here and you're not a believer, man, I, I want to sort of tell you on the authority of the Word of God, if, if you'll give your life to this Jesus we've been talking about, He'll forgive your sin. He'll bring you peace. And you can have fullness of joy. And it's free for the taking. But you got to ask. Would you be willing to ask Jesus to come in and change your life today? Would you be willing to do that? If you say yes, Pastor, then would you say this prayer to the Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus, today I realize that I need forgiveness. Jesus, I've sinned against you. So today, I repent of my sin. And I turn my life to you. Would you come into my life? Would you give me a brand new heart, Jesus? Jesus, would you give me a brand new start? Here's my life. I surrender. Save me, Lord Jesus. Friend, I'll tell you on the authority of God's word, a, a sincere man, a sincere woman who surrenders their life to Christ, who believes and knows that they've sinned and believes that Jesus died for sin, you can be saved. You can be saved. Father, as we close out our time this morning, I pray for that man, that woman, that young person that's yet to know Christ. Lord, some of them prayed that prayer with me and they surrendered to Jesus even now. And I would pray that they would be willing to take that next step to say to somebody, hey, I, maybe even come down and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. I prayed that prayer. I surrendered my life to Christ. So, Father, I pray for them. Father, I pray for us who are believers that, that we won't just walk out the door today and go, oh, man, that was, that, that was inspiring. It's good that early church did that. No, no, God, I pray that you would convict our heart, that we would walk out there and live on mission for Jesus because we're gospel-centered people who've been changed. So anoint us and fill us, Father, and send us out for your honor and glory. And we'll be careful to give the praise to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, before you go, let me just say this. If, if, uh, if you need prayer, I'll be here at the front. I'd love to pray with you or for you. If you're not a believer yet and you would like to have a conversation or, or maybe you prayed with me and would like to talk about, okay, what happens next? I'll be here. would love to, to chat with you for a few minutes. Uh, otherwise, uh, let's go out and be the church. Let's go out and live on mission. Let's go out and step out of our comfort zone and talk to others about Jesus. Have a great day and a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.